Hello and welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast by Local Government Chronicle. Each month we bring together leaders and changemakers from within and around local government to discuss the most significant social challenges facing the sector. If you enjoy this podcast, please do leave us a rating on the podcast platform of your choice and recommend this episode to your colleagues. You can keep up to date with all the latest in local government news at lgcplus.com. Hello and welcome to the Local Authority, the podcast from the Local Government Chronicle. My name's Martin George, I'm the Deputy Editor of LGC, and today we'll be talking about how to help council officers as their career progression sees them working more closely with elected politicians and facing sometimes difficult scrutiny in public for the first time. Now, we know that um, many local government officers start their careers as specialists in their field, so finance, law, social care, planning, to name but a few. But the nature of their job can change as they get promoted up the role and it sees them working more closely with elected politicians, working in the political environment and having to explain and sometimes defend their actions uh, in, in public at council meetings. So we really want to explore how the sector can better support officers as they move into that more senior role and different context. And I'm really delighted to be joined by three guests who um, have got fantastic insight in this sector. Um, their sort of background speaks for themselves, really. Um, great to have uh, Joanne Roney, Chief Executive of Manchester City Council. Hi, Joanne. Hello. Um, we've got Deborah Evans, Chief Executive and Director of Lawyers in Local Government. Hi, Deborah. Hello, delighted to be here. And great to have uh, Bruce McDonald, who is the leader of Elmbridge Council, but also former chief executive of Kingston upon Thames Council. Hi, Bruce. Hi, everyone. I should probably declare a, a short conflict of interest of my own here. Back in the day, and we're talking decades ago, I used to work at Kingston Council. So Bruce was ultimately my boss for a while, but I don't think that uh, will affect the discussion we have today. And, and you never behave like that, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Um, so I'd like to start actually by asking all our guests just to explain a bit about their own journey and background and career and sort of how they've, you know, as they've you know, moved up the ranks, um, how they've handled this themselves and perhaps helped mentor support other officers following in that journey um now deborah i know you started off your career in local government as a trading standards officer at dudley council um you've moved into the private sector legal department at boots um you've managed those at different organizations been in the public sector and the private sector tell us a bit about what you've noticed what you've seen about this well, it's been fascinating, really, um, working both across the public and the private sector with lawyers as to how the different contexts really shape behaviour and development opportunities for the lawyers that are involved. Um, you know, just as a comparison, a lawyer in the private sector seeks partnership and they, they want to be um, mainly uh, in a situation where they're, they're running uh, an entire organisation as part of a team. Um, whereas in local government, it's very different. Rather than becoming a more and more specialist lawyer, a local government lawyer with career ambition can actually start doing less and less law as they move into the position of, of monitoring officers. So they're very, very different career paths. One's all about management skills, collaboration skills, teamworking, the power of influence and negotiation, more so actually 
the legal skills, whereas in the private sector, it's all about getting those legal skills honed further and further and becoming eminent in that specialism. So the two result, um, routes are very, very different. Um, however, that's not to say that there's not opportunity for people to swap between the two routes. And we see that happening very regularly. It's not a case of decide your route and stick to it. There are many options to either move into um, the public sector to deliver law or indeed out into the private sector. Um, so it's the flow between the two and the development paths that have really interested me in their journeys to the top. Fantastic. And, and lots more we can bring out about those, those journeys um, as we go through the podcast. Um, now, Joanne, would it be right to say you're a sort of a local government lifer, as it were? Oh my God. Um, in in <laughs> well, a nice My word, what a term. <laughs> <laughs> but am I right? You started as an apprentice um, at Birmingham City Council um, and sort of you, housing was your area. You've moved up through the ranks. Um, I think she became chief executive at Wakefield and now, of course, at Manchester since 2017. Um, how have you found that that career progression? and your role changing when you, you reach a level where suddenly you're interacting in a political environment or in a more public role, which you, know, you probably aren't trained for when you're, you enter the sector at a more junior level. Um, so I have worked in um, the voluntary sector and the private sector as well as um, a long career in local government. So um, it is interesting to see the different perspectives, isn't it? But uh, uh, to, to go to your question, I, I guess the one of the significant differences I had that perhaps um, current is, is less current is that when I was at middle management level, um, in those days, we local government had committee systems. So uh, it, even kind of middle officers, middle ranking officers would be attending committee because you would be reporting on your area of service. So I think my career has always been about working alongside elected members of various uh, different political parties in various various kind of forums, really, um, right through to current being a, a chief executive. But I, I do think one of the things that current directors have is that you can go through quite a long career at middle management level and not necessarily come into contact, maybe through neighbourhood-based working or integrated working, but in that accountability forums where you are the officer presenting uh, for crucial decisions, quite often that comes late in people's careers now since local government moved to executive structures, executive and scrutiny structures. So there is a difference, I think, for current cohort local government officers to those who have got 900 years worth of experience of me <laughs> who work their way up through the ranks. And I think that's why this is a really important podcast, actually, because yeah people's current experience will be different to those of us who have got a long-term experience in local government. So is it kind of a case that, that people come to that role in politics sort of later but harder? It, it's more of a, a sudden hard I, switch rather than a sort of a gradual easing into I, it? I think that's exactly the the, the the case and I think it's not 
just people who were promoted from within local government. I think building on what Deborah said, I see increasingly across all different sectors uh, or technical aspects of work, the people moving between different sectors. So I see people from the private sector coming to the public sector. I see people from the voluntary sector coming to local government. And I think that is the point that um, it can be quite late in your career that you come into the setting whereby you are either presenting complicated, huge reports on key decisions to an executive forum, or you are being held to account in policy formation or indeed decisions through a scrutiny function. I think people can come to that unprepared. Yeah, well, I think that there's a lot to, to explore there and, and how we can hopefully help people in the sector make, make those sort of transitions. Um, now, Bruce, you've got fascinating perspectives here as um, someone who started off in the sort of HR personnel side of things back in things at Hounslow Council back in the day, came to Kingston in 1980 and sort of moved up through the ranks there, eventually becoming chief exec in 2020, so 2000, apologies. Um, you just lost a huge part of my career, Martin. The best bit of your career is when I worked there. <laughs> um, but then you've also, you've seen it from the other perspective. So you're now a, an elected politician at a different council. And so you're seeing that kind of officers on, on the other side of the table, as it were. Um, I'd love to know, sort of, I mean, like I've asked um, our other colleagues, you know, how your career progression worked in terms of the, the role changing, but also then the different angles you see it from now and then, has that led you to any sort of insights or, or, or thoughts about this? So I'm um, happy to share some thoughts on that, Martin. And um, I think the first thing, you know, one of the insights from my own experience, and actually it just happened the way my career worked. I, I found myself thrown into political environment early on in, 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 in Hounslow. So I was surprisingly early in that sort of situation. But I think the general point I would draw out of that is you discover fairly quickly that things which really matter in your relationships with people and in working life are the things that really count. So the way that you listen, the way that you respond, the way that you can provide a context, the way that you can demonstrate quickly, all of those things which work for you, whether you're working in a team, leading a team, or answering questions in a political environment. Those, those are all skills which we can, we can draw on. But I, I think uh, the point that Joanne makes is, is, a, is a very sound one in that, particularly now, but I think to some extent always, in some occupations, um, so if you're providing children's services, for instance, you could probably work at quite a senior level and have no interface with members to speak of um, much, much, much at all, which is a different experience from, for instance, people working in democratic services who will have an interface with members from the from the, the word go. And I, I just did a little bit of, of Googling this morning just to see what there was around in terms of what people thought were key leadership skills, what were key skills around working in a political environment. And, and actually most of it was around skills-based stuff. There's an interesting article um, which was about um, headed um, skating on thin ice and um, the, that working in a political environment at a senior level is more of an art than a, than a science. And I remember having a conversation with Barry Quirk 
um, a very respected chief executive colleague, probably um, 15 or, or so years ago, where he'd been on one of these missions to sort out problems between a Labour leadership and a chief exec. And I said, you know, well, <laughs> what can you do in that environment? And his message back was, well, actually, the guy was quite a capable chief exec, but he tended to talk in black and white. Whereas he said, and I tried to take it as a compliment, you and I are very skilled in talking in shades of grey. And I think I think there is something something in that. Um, and that's really about listening and responding and demonstrating you're on the same page. I suppose the, 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 the final point I'd make is that, you know, looking at it from a member uh, perspective now, um, and it, uh, I, I, I lead a group um, which went from eight two years ago when I was elected to 19 now. We've gone from being the smallest party on the council to being the largest. And I'm the first Liberal Democrat leader in Elmbridge's history, which even four years ago would have been inconceivable. The point of that story is actually there's only four people in the group who have more than four years experience. So they're, they're having to learn a lot of stuff new. And when I see them interacting with officers, the thing that they value, I think, are people who talk to them directly, answer questions simply, don't try and turn them into surrogate professionals, which I think some colleagues do. I think that's a really bad thing to do. And if they don't know, just say, I don't know. You know, mm -hmm. and I think there's some really basic things. And, you know, I'm, I'm working, I think, with a bunch of officers who are pretty good in those respects. But over the course of my career, you know, you've seen the waffleometer, haven't you? You've seen, oh, God, the guy really hasn't got a clue. And he's going around the houses just to trying to off-put skate and conceal <laughs> it. And, you know, I've never had any time for that. And I don't think members particularly mm. have any time for it. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I noticed you nods around the virtual table there when you were speaking, Bruce. Um, I, I guess one thing I'd like to explore um, off the back of that is just let's set out what the problems or the dangers are here. What are the sort of the traps that perhaps some officers might inadvertently fall into um, when they start working with politicians at a senior level? What are things they've got to be aware of? Um, I don't know if I'll come to you, uh, Joanne, first. Um, do you have any sort of um, sort of warnings or, you know, hazard ahead, avoid, avoid? Yeah, a few, but I'm sure others will build in. I guess my first one would be um, a tendency to sugarcoat or to, you know, not, I wouldn't say not be truthful. I think officers are truthful, but there is a way in which information can be given that sometimes is a little bit probably not as stark that it needs to be. Um, there's a tendency to sugarcoat and that can mean the message can be missed. So I think there's a, a real thing for me about being honest, but also be frank. Um, in terms of what advice you are giving here, what what is it that you're actually seeking to convey? I I agree with what Bruce was saying. You your your second point is not listening and not understanding. So uh, by being uh, straightforward and direct and clear about what the issue is, that's not to be black and white. There is something about saying, look, I need to explain this is the situation for these reasons. But within that, I need to hear what elected members are saying. Um, for me, that's about the start point has to be respecting both perspectives here in any conversation. Elected members have a different, legitimate, le different perspective on what an issue is in front 
of them. That's and officers have a technical or experienced knowledge. The, the two things have to come together in conversations or in in a report that's um, readable and permeable and not overly technical. So I think for me the first one is be clear what it is you're talking about, be clear what it is you're seeking to, the position you're seeking to get to, uh, and be, um, yeah, be 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 straight in that mm. conversation, be straightforward in what you're saying. And those conversations range from, I've had a great idea, officers produced me a, a paper on it, through to, there's an issue here, and I need to give you some really bad news. That, and I think my other, the, the other one that I would have, the one that um, we sit there thinking you you all cringe on is where an officer hasn't felt able to say, do you know, I just don't know the answer to that. Mm. Or even you actually, members, you've got a, a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. I need to take that away. And I think that honest conversation, that integrity and that respect needs to be at the absolute forefront of any officer engagement with members and vice versa. No, absolutely. Um, and Deborah, when you think about um, your lawyers getting to say the, the role of monitoring officer, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, really strict statutory role here with, with you know, clearly defined duties. Can that be hard when you know someone has trained to be a lawyer and suddenly they're having this very important legal role, but operating in what can be at some councils a very difficult um, political context? complicated context perhaps um i mean we've all seen you know the kind of social media um you know hate storms that can can blow up i mean for that role in particular i guess um are there problems you've seen or potential pitfalls that people could fall into well look there absolutely are and it, it really reflects on what was said earlier about things almost needing to be more ambiguous and less sort of black and white sometimes because if a lawyer is asked to give specific advice on something from a member um, it's really important to nuance that advice um, if they're asking basically can i do something the answer may be well yes you can but the follow-on question is well should you and these are the things <laughs> you need to think about and then how can you do it well and these are the things you need to do to do it well the answer is not just yes or no and that's sometimes where the skill comes in um, and this ability really to shape the bit of legal advice um, dependent on the situation that's in front of you and knowing the context of that council the communities etc so nuancing decisions rather than being um, very much unambiguous is um, a top tip there and then also this isn't a trap it's a reality of being a monitoring officer you have to speak truth to power yeah. and sometimes that means that people will not like what you say and that then goes back to what Joanne was saying earlier of please make sure that you say that in a way that the message comes across don't try and sugarcoat it you need to get that message across well um, so it's about how to speak truth to power clearly considerately and how to then nuance your decisions so that your advice is full and rounded no that 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 thing that's really important um bruce coming to you on this um i mean members and officers are very different beasts aren't they i mean councillors um are by and large sort of community activists um who are not you know 
technical specialists in, in, in any sort of particular council area. They've got you know, community campaigns against them. Um, officers are, you know, sort of non-political specialists, you know, with, with special services and, and responsibilities for, you know, taxpayers' money and services and all this. Is there a sort of a two worlds colliding here sometimes you see? And that, can that be, have you seen officers struggle to sort of navigate that? Um, I mean, I think you back to my time at Kingston, we had um, hung council sometimes. And so very, very shifting political sands there. And I got the sense as a junior member of staff that some officers really did struggle to know where to, how to tailor what they were saying, or to know who would be their boss six months after the next election, perhaps, politically speaking. Um, I, I, I think there's lots of, of really thoughtful points to, to draw out of that. I think the, the first thing I'd say, following up from Joanne and, and, and Deborah, is, and, and, and what Deborah's done is kind of an embodiment of what good governance looks like, but underpinned by public service values. And one of my strong messages always, and it's probably born out of that no overall control time, because um, I actually started acting up as chief executive in no overall control with the minority conservative administration. And we'd, we'd had a long period in Kingston of that. And, and what I took from that very, very strongly, and used to bang on about it endlessly, is we all work for the whole council. You might have a relationship with the administration of the day, but the thing about us as officers, as I was, is, is that we work for the whole council and you basically have to give the same answer, whoever is asking the question. And if you trip yourself up on that, you're in big, big trouble. Conversely, if you build your, your, your style and your organisational culture on we do things on a reasoned evidence-based way that is respected and I, I, I think that's fundamental. I think an awful lot of this actually ultimately comes back to organisational culture and I, and I think that there's a sort of a divide in terms of the member officer perspective that really illustrates that but I think you know my, my stance has always been stick vision at the front, people need something to believe in and you can then mobilise people to, to that end. But have you got a supportive environment which is keen on innovation, recognise that sometimes it doesn't work as planned, but that's OK? Or there's some words in local government I really hate. What does best practice tell us? Now, that sounds really benign, doesn't it? You know, well, you should know about what best practice tells us. Well, yes, you should. But the people who say that, what they're actually saying is, what is everybody else doing? And let's copy it because there's safety in numbers and convergence to the norm. And I just hate that. Um, and, and But I think that then goes to, you know, to exaggerate, to make the point, you know, the, a polarity of two potential cultures, one is which is vision-led and innovative and supportive, and embraces the fact that things might go and I think that's probably you know the way of the world we're going more that way I think you know increasingly young people just demand that don't they you know um but you know it's the other kind of um ooh, we tried that before and it didn't work and well that might go wrong or do you know what we haven't got the resources that's an interesting idea councillor but look at all the other things we're doing rather than well, how might we rethink what are the priorities for the future and are there different ways of doing you know so and then and then the big thing, my big point really is if you actually um, 
if you wanted to encapsulate the divide between being a member and, and an officer, and I, and I got this from um, from you, Neighbour, who, who made the point that they only really understood about how to make policy effectively and implement it in the middle of the second term. And politicians basically think making a policy announcement is implementing it. Mm. Whereas officers know you have to have a strategy, you have to do the work and you need to stick with it. And it's it's actually getting people into the same space where they have a shared appreciation, a confidence that that's what we're doing and stick with it and don't get knocked off course. So, you know, that 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 feels to me where politically and uh, from an officer perspective, we need to come together. And I think in high performing organisations, we do. And when things are going wrong, we're poles apart. So, so I mean, and, and Joanne, yeah, please. I was, well, I was just going to say that's just made me think about um, how, how you work effectively is that you work together on a number of things. And I was struck by, you know, one of the other things that massively irritates members, indeed it, it irritates me as a chief executive, is when reports are rushed and they come out late and you haven't had, there hasn't been enough yeah, conversation yeah. beforehand. Yeah. And um, so I think there is something about the process of governance, but there's more work done in the before you even get to that stage, isn't there, about talking through the issues. Where are we trying to get to? What are we trying to achieve? What are the capacity implications of this? What are the risks to doing this? But they can be dialogue. So that was my first point, that sometimes um, a reliance on your governance structure to get the officer member relationships right, it's not all that. It is absolutely conversation, dialogue and shared values and culture. And I, I was just struck by one of the things we do in Manchester, which I think is really good, actually. And that's that as well as a you know very um, inclusive induction report, uh, in, induction process for new members, we have a whole series of ongoing events called our manchester which is which is about where we share what is our manchester what are we trying to deliver for this city and how and time out to talk about our values to deliver that vision and we do that jointly with members and i do a listening in action session um well all the time uh, at least uh, at least three or four a year with staff come on it but all elected members can come on it as well. So staff and member joint training, joint conversations around our values, our behaviours and what we're all here for achieving. And I think sometimes we underplay that getting to know each other and to understand yeah. perspectives yeah. is as important as delivery and policy and ideas and formal governance. And I think breeding that collaboration shared culture respect for one another is all part of how you operate in a politically sensitive politically nuanced environment as a public servant i, I mean deborah yeah your, your sort of thoughts on this i mean this is a really sort of interesting conversation we're generating here i mean from your perspective um how do you see it well, I think one of the key things is about understanding the roles and how they differ between the role of member and the role of officer, and um, basically who does what. Now, in the private sector, um, it tends to be talked about as like the strategic operational divide. So you have, in effect, the board as the strategic leader setting the vision, 
bringing the big ideas and then the operational team going and, and delivering it. Um, and as part of that, knowing where that line is as to who does what is really, really quite important. And it's also then from a local authority perspective about the balance of power. So what does the constitution say about who is authorised to make what decision? What's your, your delegations? And where is the value in that decision being made? So yeah, Joanne was talking about rushed papers, etc. The production of papers takes up a lot of resource. So you have to make sure that the things that the members are looking at are the things where they'll be adding value. So there's a lot to be done in getting that um, that relationship right, not just from sort of the personal and stylistic side of things, but actually from um, what underpins the local authority, the constitution, the, the delegated authorities, etc., and really understanding those roles. And, and sort of, and then moving on from sort of the the, the the sort of formal structural constitutional role there. I mean, do you have any of you sort of you had to informal conversations with officers, you know, before they you know, maybe have their first scrutiny committee in public or sort of put a hand on their shoulder metaphorically and said, look, you're probably worried about this, but this is how you can deal with this. Or, or look, I know you've got a difficult meeting in in town hall now with councillors on a really difficult issue. Here's how you sort of don't get sucked into the politics of it and just, yeah. Have you had those sort of informal chats and, and what is it you say to people? How do you kind of help them um, prepare for, for those difficult encounters? Um, uh, Joanne, I see you're sort of nodding mm -hmm. that, that you clearly have had these conversations. Yeah. Well, well, all our scrutiny committees are um, filmed now and are publicly available. So um, we would encourage officers to watch scrutiny, to familiarise themselves with um, uh, what actually happens in scrutiny, how it conducts itself. I think Deborah's absolutely right. You, you've got to be clear about what decision, who, what, how, what decision is being taken. What is the nature of the conversation that you're having? Is this a early thinking on a policy of which we're creating views, or is this a draft paper that's going to executive for approval? So absolutely understand what it is that you're doing at scrutiny is a start point. Are you there to listen? Are you there to present? There's some we absolutely do spend time with encouraging officers to either shadow before going shadow a senior director. We always have a senior officer in the room at every scrutiny who is there um, to, to help ensure that the scrutiny functions effectively and that um, uh, scrutiny gets the papers in advance. Or if not a paper, it's a presentation that it's permeable. People can understand it. Um, and that there's proper scope and time given for conversation and opinion. Um, I think the key point for that is, and scrutiny can be challenging, it, it can be. Um, one of the things we always say to officers is, is to cling to this isn't personal. This may be an emotive issue. I think I've talked about having respect for members and members having a different lens than an officer on an issue. They're balancing political narrative. They're balancing community narrative. There might be balancing their own personal feelings mm. on an issue. So you have to respect that they have a different approach to what they're being presented with here or a different opinion. And they're facilitating um, others' opinions in that space as well. It's not personal. They're not criticising you or your work 
but they may not agree with what you're presenting and they may be challenging you to think differently or to look at it a different way or ask or even asking questions because they're struggling to get to the nub of the issue mm. or they're, they're unclear about it. so it can be uh, it can be challenging stick to the guidance that we always give to the officers you are there to do your best you are there to impart the information and the knowledge that you have to help people come to a decision and you're there to listen um you know it's not personal that I, I and i should say i in my experience the vast majority of elected members are incredibly supportive of officers trusting of officers and um conduct themselves with as much professionalism as any officer mm. so it's a very mutually respective conversation occasionally things can get heated and they can get emotive um and then i think when when there's a bad scrutiny or a difficult scrutiny it's important that we as an organization then support the officers afterwards mm. um, and we debrief and we talk about what what could have been different and perhaps uh, um, as I say but one of the virtues of the recording is that we can play back and we can look again and what I will say again from my experience in Manchester is that elected members do the same and elected members will also say well actually looking back on that I probably went too far. Maybe that did step over into being unnecessarily challenging. Um, so, so I think there is a period of reflection after uh, a not successful meeting. But the key points are we are all in the business of trying to do something better for Manchester. We mm. are ultimately all on the same side in this room. So let's just remind ourselves what we're trying to achieve, even if we're looking at it or approaching it through a different perspective. No, absolutely. Now, now Bruce, we've talked here about um, members and officers. Um, there can be a third party in this relationship, especially in public meetings, which is the public. And uh, you know, as a reporter, as an officer, I've been to public meetings, usually on traffic issues, there's always traffic issues mm. or planning, but you get very, very emotive members of the public who care deeply about something, perhaps they don't see it in the same objective way that officers do. And so you, you can get sort of speeches or heckles or boos, cat calling, and you know, really, libelous slanderous allegations chucked at officers um you know from the microphone sometimes how do you prepare officers for that because i mean members they're part of the organization the public it's the public absolutely and those are clearly um really testing situations and the degree of the test is related to how emotive the the particular issue is um it, Part of our, our experience, Martin, is, is the neighbourhood committees that we introduced in Kingston in 94. And those were very much driven by a wish for people to be able to have as much over influence over decisions affecting their lives as possible. And the opportunity to shape at a very local level vision um, for the neighbourhood. But I think over time it became clear that things which always, always drew the audiences were the planning issues and the traffic management issues and those you know you can have some classically and we've got a whole lot of stuff going on now haven't we with 20 minute neighborhoods and no mm. traffic neighborhoods where there's a right wing in my view preposterous suggestion that this is the backdoor implementation of socialist republics you know so it's another episode of culture wars going on that we're we're, we're seeing played out 
out here. So yeah, officers can find themselves in 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 the middle of all of that. I think there's lots that your organisation does in in the way Joanne's explained in terms of preparing people for those roles. But I think actually, um, you know, and it really draws on some points Deborah's made. That I think it comes back to the bedrock of who we are and the public service values that we embody and even a hostile audience will end up with a grudging respect of, of a professional who's on top of their subject answers the questions doesn't duck them isn't evasive and just tells them how it is in a respectful way empathizing where they can but just dealing with the business as it is um you know one's found oneself in all sorts of environments but um, I remember going along um Kingstonian Football Club were in terrible trouble and they were on the edge of going into administration and I went along to to meet them all and um the cry from the room basically is Woking puts loads of money into Woking FC why can't you and I said well I just don't know how Woking do that, but I can tell you about the finances of Kingston. And this is what we need to spend that money on. And I am sorry, but if I have to make choices between children's services, supporting children, supporting adults, actually, however much we care about the overall sense of us as a community, we just haven't got the money to do it. And, you know, I can't say that they broke out into applause, but I think there was a, a, grudging, a grudging respect. And, and you know these are taxing occasions you can't mm. make them easy but I think you can give people confidence that mm. if they know their business they stick to their business and they listen empathetically you come out the other side yeah and I think that that makes perfect sense um now so drawing, I think drawing, we I, should I would, just acknowledge it is very difficult out there though yeah, exactly, exactly, I think exactly. the I I I think it would be remiss of me to not say that the um the reduction of the standards regime, I think, is a mistake in local government. I think that, um, I think there was something that was at least a, a written reminder that people did need to conduct themselves in a code. I, I take that doesn't apply to members of the public, but it certainly helped in terms of some member behaviours in some councils. And I think um, we should acknowledge, actually, Martin, your point, which is sometimes it can be very difficult for officers and members actually, mm. um, members get uh, probably more so in some instances in terms of social media campaigns and others. Um, and I do think there is a concern about standards in public life and how we're viewed and what tips over from an emotive, you know, heated conversation and meeting into personal attacks and relentless prosecution on social media of some individuals. I think that is a concern for the sector and mm. um, it is raised by a number of senior officers has been one of the things that increasingly puts them off coming yeah. to work in the public sector. And we should be concerned about that. Nothing we've talked about today actually stops that from happening. Um, we can only support people who are in those situations, but it is quite difficult, I find. Yep. Deborah. Yes, I mean, it's fair to say that emotional decision making is never good decision making. <laughs> Even if the, the public are very emotional, the council needs to strive to be reasoned, informed, transparent and justified in its decision making, which can be quite difficult. Um, 
But the, the way that we try and support monitoring officers in what can be sort of very difficult situations is that uh, we have a, a group, a, a national group for monitoring officers, and they can find within that peer support. They can literally phone a friend. They can get mentoring. We can allow safe space discussions um, just so that they can prepare properly for, the, for these sort of situations. Um, and just picking up on Joanne's point on um, standards and uh, sometimes the fact that they're not always there and they, they are lacking, sometimes speaking truth to power can be quite career limiting for monitoring mm. officers as well. Sometimes they then have to seek external help. And that's the reason why we run a monitoring officers defence scheme to help them out in those situations. Um, so life isn't always easy. Um, it can be challenging. Um, but these people are working at very high level and almost wherever they worked, they'd be meeting similar challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's about yeah. resilience and it's about personal skills, but it's very much about networking and peer support. And I think that's mm -hmm. something we've been in danger of losing recently. Now mm. people have become more remote and likely to mm. go out and, and meet. And that's been a, a key mm. part of me becoming resilient is not just encountering difficult situations, but learning techniques yeah. to manage them yeah. through learning yeah. with other people. I think that I think Deborah's right, and I think the LGA do some good. The LGA do good work in this space, as do Solace with um, a number of um, uh, chief executive senior officer forums and Ignite programs. It's very much about sector support and um, learning, as well as sharing um, for for one another. I, I I just wanted to make the point that. The environment, I think, is more challenging yeah. sometimes. Mm. It's probably yeah. the most challenging that I've found it in my yeah. career. And therefore, we do need yeah. these professional organisations yeah. that support officers yeah. and these professional networks more than perhaps previously. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think both of, the, of your contributions touch upon enormously important points, both in terms of the operating environment, but the huge importance of collaboration and support. Um, so, you know, if you're not if you feel you're on your own you're in a bad place and yeah. as a community we need to make sure that that, that doesn't happen I, I was just going to build on a, a, a point joanne made earlier which is and it sort of relates to to your role martin too and it, it's really around the demise of local reporting and the increasing prevalence of social media and you know, if I go back to the, the 2000s, we had a strong local press which followed the council pretty rigorously, would report on cabinet council meetings. And I think the community could have a high level of confidence that if there was something going on that people thought wasn't quite right, the policy was going the wrong way, there was something people weren't being told, it would generally be brought out as a feeling it would. And now we're dependent really on a whole sort of hodgepodge of messengers and a, a massive distortion of messages around social media. And I think that just to just make the, the, the environment um, much more complicated and, and potentially personally corrosive mm -hmm. and you know just to, just to the side I, I um just before Christmas I went to a meeting in um part of Elmbridge and one of the local residents happens to be Kelvin McKenzie um former editor of the Sun and he was there with his brother who's also 
a former editor. Um, but he came over to, to me at the beginning and said, you know, I just want you to know I'm going to be tweeting on everything you say. And I said, I think that's great, Kelvin. That's a really good idea. And then I threw him a sort of curveball, which I knew it would, he would have trouble with, um, which was just changing the whole dynamic of what was under discussion and, and pushing it back on him. But, but you know, it, 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 you know, I, I took it all as if we were being very matey. But mm. you know, that, that was threatening behaviour, basically, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know? It's interesting. So, so I mean, to sort of to wrap things up a bit, we, we, we've talked about the problem, and I mean, Joanne's been saying it's you know get as bad as as you've seen it, and we've talked about you know things that put offers off going into some of these roles or, or continuing in these roles, and we've talked a bit about the solutions, but let, let's have a final thought to everybody about what what other solutions there might be there. I mean, whether it's um, a chief exec or senior officer in their organisation, whether it's the supportive professional bodies, whether it's the sector as a whole and the culture we have. What you know, one or two things can we take away from this and say, if we did this, it would help, it would make it better, it would help officers be confident in going up the career ladder and performing these enormously important but difficult public roles. Um, who should I put on the spot first? We have a volunteer, Deborah, please. <laughs> Deborah, please. Thank you. Well, we've just developed a course specifically for want to be monitoring officers called LLG Inspire, um, which is in the main an online learning course, but there will be opportunities for them all to get together at our conferences to really take a cohort of lawyers through all of the soft skills that they need to become a monitoring officer, which includes the political awareness type points we were talking about. It includes how to deal with conflict, um, how to become resilient, etc. So we actually think rather than leaving people out there to kind of work their way through it themselves, we'll give them an opportunity to, to very much get together do this together and then building that group means that when they do go on to be monitoring officers they'll always have each other to talk to so um, we think from our perspective um, everybody's trained to be a lawyer no one at the moment gets training for this next step so that's a gap that we've looked to proactively fill and that's starting from this autumn fantastic um joanne did you want to a couple of um, words on the solutions here so, so i will say that although we've talked about um the uh, the environment being slightly more challenging than it has been for many years, I'll stand by the vast majority of local councils are well run with excellent elected members, really competent officers and, and cultures that are nothing but, uh, in you know, engendering success and innovation and tough stuff being dealt with really well. So, you know, it is still, without doubt, the best job in the world um, to be a local authority chief executive. So, but... To head off getting into difficulty, I think there are some really simple lessons. Um, make sure you are clear on what the governance arrangements are and when you're able to have early conversations with members to shape policy, to think through and to get better understanding, do that and expose yourself to elected members in the variety of forums as often as you can. Learn from others. I completely agree. Join your professional organisations. I'll say it's solace for senior officers and chief executives. Um, there's a net, there's a huge training and development programme, very much as Deborah set out, how to deal with troubled waters, how to deal with conflict, how to develop your personal skill sets and your personal resilience. But I think there's no compensation for 
just doing your job well as a public servant. And that's mm. reports being done in a timely fashion, being on top of your brief, um, being able to um, translate your technical expertise into well understood you know crafted reports that get to the nub of the issue the the nub of the decision um being able to speak truth to power uh being able to hold yourself to the values and act with absolute integrity both within your organization but with you as an individual and frankly any officer working through the ranks whatever role you're at if you're working to the true values and you're working with integrity and you're working alongside others to get the best outcome that you can for the people that you're serving, then you're going to be a successful public servant. That's a really good positive message for people to, to hang on to there. Um, Bruce, I'll give you the, the, the brief, brief um, final word there. A any sort of final thoughts on, again, sort of positive ways to improve and, and, and help people as they sort of go up the ladder here? I thought that was brilliant from Joanne. Absolutely uh, demonstrates what being a top lead the chief executive is all, all about. So um, very, very strong, strong message. Yeah, I, I think three things, really. First, to go back to the beginning, um, we, we start with professional careers. Sometimes our self-image defines ourselves in relation to that professional career. Actually, with what Joanne just said, if you are good and competent, you will have the skill set that equips you for working in the pol political environment. Secondly, the best organisations are supported learning organisations and are doing the right things. Thirdly, I think there is a space because unless I missed it when I was doing my uh, my Google search today, I didn't find anything which which basically said how to develop your person, your political skill set uh, as an aspiring leader in, in local government. And uh, I think I think that would be a gap worth filling. Good organisations, good people will be getting it right, but there is a task there to make sure it can be replicated on an absolutely consistent basis across the board. Fantastic. And I see strong nodding from, um, I think, both Joanne and Deborah um, to that point, Bruce. Um, Bruce, Joanne, Deborah, thank you so much. That has been a, a really, really thorough um, look at this topic. I hope people who are listening um, will take a lot out of it and will will help people who want to progress their careers in local government um, to even greater levels. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Um, please do look at our, our backlog of local authority podcasts, plenty of other topics of interest, and do keep an eye on our website for the latest local government news, lgcplus.com. But lastly, thank you to all of our guests today and thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Local Authority, brought to you by Local Government Chronicle. You can listen to the full back catalogue of episodes on Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts, or by visiting lgcplus.com forward slash podcast. We'll see you next time for another episode of The Local Authority.